0: Welcome to Sassy. I'm Annie Murlowski and I'm your host. Each week we share the inspiring stories of female leaders throughout the tech industry. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the inspiring stories of career growth and development from women who are leading technology as we know it. This week I am so excited to welcome Trinity Wynn, the VP of Marketing at User Gems, onto the Sassy podcast. Thank you so much, Trinity, for joining us today on Sassy. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about your journey. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, Anne. Yes, you as well. Um, Well, to kick us off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role today and what were some of the milestones that helped shape your career?
1: Sure. So I am VP of Marketing at a company called User Gems. So it's a software for sales and marketers and customer success to track their key contacts when they change their jobs as a way of generating pipeline or preventing churn. Key milestones, I feel like every time there's a transition in like on my on my career, like some changing companies, usually those are pretty in hindsight, seems like to be a pretty big uh milestone in the career, but like in the moment it just felt like it's a natural transition. But I'd say like, I mean, recency bias, I guess the biggest Milestone for me was when I joined User Gems four years ago. So I was the first business hire. There were two co-founders; they both technical, and two other engineers. So I think that was quite a big change that kind of like shaped my career to this day. That in the more significant way, just because of you know early stage startup, and then they kind of built everything from the ground up. So I think that would be that. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. And that's kind of a fun time to join a company because you're really watching that evolution.
1: Yeah. Fun and challenging, I think, because you don't really, it's like a blank sheet of paper, which is really exciting. But at the same time, like when you're in it, you don't really, like you, you never know how long the journey is going to be. Or if you, I test with this idea, how the result going to be like a lot of experimentation, right? So it's really fun. But, yeah, no, it's a, it's been a really fun journey seeing all, like, kind of, like, growing through different phases and then getting a few customers beginning and then kind of scale from there. So, yeah, it's it's been fantastic.
0: Well, you know, most of these roles, and especially with a product like UserGem, it's like these kinds of things didn't exist when we were children. Um, so <laughs> what was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? And do you see a connection to, you know, what you do today?
1: I want to be a millionaire. No, that's... <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I actually knew that I wanted to be a marketer, but the concept of marketer back in the day for me, it's more like brand managers of like consumer package goods. So like P&G, Unilever, you know, like that, because I watched too many commercials growing up. So I thought I would be a brand manager or join like kind of like a marketing agency, kind of like madman style. And then somehow, because I knew that I wouldn't be a marketer when I went to college and after graduation, I actually wanted to explore different roles that's not marketing, just to kind of see how the rest of the company functions, like what makes the company like operate. So I, I did do like risk, operations, finance, strategy, and then finally kind of like come back into like marketing uh, through product marketing and now like full, full marketing. So it's a long journey, but I think it's like a jungle where people say that like your career path is not like just a ladder, it's actually a jungle. I mean, it sounds cliche, but in my case, I think it's really true (laughs) just because I was like all over a place and like trying to experience different functions.
0: No, that totally makes sense. And I think that that helps you, you know, kind of look at your seat a little bit differently when you have, you know, not just empathy, but actual understanding of what, you know, the people across the room are experiencing in their day-to-day jobs.
1: That was not like, to be honest, though, like when, like the Trinity, when she was 18, did not think about it in like that strategically. I was just curious. I'm, oh, how do they do that over there? That kind of thing. And then in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. It definitely rounds out your understanding of how a, a business is run. And I think it doesn't matter which team you're in, even on the technical side, it's always beneficial, whether you're an employee or even a founder, especially founder to know how, what makes a business operate in the right way. <laughs> so I think it's beneficial to kind of like, like explore that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about um, a challenge that you faced in your career and how you've overcome it.
1: Too many. <laughs> There's so many like different challenges that you experience in your day. I guess for your for the audience of this podcast, what you think is more beneficial if it's on the personal kind of like career development, personal development, or just like job wise challenges.
0: I think personal development
1: personal development. I think this one seems to be common. Uh, it's like the imposter syndrome. And more and more people express that they have it. So I definitely have that being uh, like a first generation immigrant. My family is still in Vietnam. So there are a lot of kind of like voices in your head that question like, can I do it? Am I good enough? Did I actually deserve this? Whatever this is? Was it just an accident? Did someone make a mistake? had that kind of voices in my head my whole entire life. Like even when I got to my uh, to the business school, I remember just sitting there, on a random afternoon, just looking out the window and wondering like How did I get here? Like my application must have accidentally put into a wrong pile." And it was weird. It had nothing to do. It it was just a random quiet Friday afternoon or something. But that kind of voice was pretty common growing up. Like for me, in hindsight, like, it's hard to overcome it. I think I think there are a lot of coaches and tips and books out there to kind of show you how to overcome but it's it's a journey that I think you can only figure out on your own uh, yes listen to all the tips because it works for somebody and then see how like that applies to you for me I think only until recently where I feel like I made some progress is I start thinking back about all the different challenges at work that I'm figured out how to overcome them. Like, in the, like just a small ones, like a small win here, small wind there. And then remember the Trinity like two years ago, like that Trinity would say like, oh my God, I don't know how people did that. But now I'm like, well, I did it. So I must be good enough. So I think like at this stage, I feel like whenever I hear that voice, I would say, well, I'm sure I'm smart enough, have experience enough and kind of like think for myself, I'll be able to figure it out just like anybody else. And once you prove that a couple of times, then I feel I'm kind of coming out of that cave. Hope that makes sense.
0: Oh, no, it does. You almost, you have to convince yourself. It's it's that path of, you know, and sometimes you need somebody around you who really even pushes you a little bit to, yes, you can do it. Um, Have you had anybody like that in your life that kind of is that reassuring voice on your shoulder?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think like, so my partner is great. I mean, like friends, great too. Um, my parents are lovely, but I'm, I was, I'm brought up in like an Asian household. So like A plus is okay. Why didn't you get A plus plus? <laughs> but when you get older, you kind of feel like you understand that just came from love. But I think even if when people tell you that, you don't really listen. They're like, oh, you're just being nice. Like I would say that to my friends too, and I believe it. But when someone else says it, you're like, oh, you're just being nice. You kind of like push it aside. And then there's another like, it talks like kind of like way of thinking too. It's like, if I have a challenge, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get there. All these people that I admire, they like way beyond that, right? Fast forward six months later, you get there somehow. And then the voice in the head starts saying things like, well, if I got there, that must be like basic. Anybody can get there. And then you set out another like challenge that's higher. Like, right? oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to. It's just like a crazy loop in your head. Yeah. So anyone listening out there, you know, hello. <laughs> Imposter syndrome is crazy.
0: Well, it never goes away. It never, it never, it never goes never.
1: away. <laughs> I think like the, when you get a little bit older, <laughs> you start to give a little bit less fuck about things. Uh, <laughs> and that's when it kind of like slides off a little bit.
0: No, that totally makes sense. <laughs> well, kind of how do you maintain a work-life balance? You know, as a, as a VP, obviously, you have a very demanding job in a startup like that can sometimes be all-consuming. What do you do to maintain that work-life balance? And do you feel that it's different in your work-life balance from your male peers?
1: Balance is hard. I'm thinking like a VP or not VP. I think everyone has different definition of what is balance based on their personal situation too and their health situation too. So to me, I wouldn't say that I have, like, I figured out the, the balance part. I mean, I enjoy work too much. So I don't think anyone looking at me would say that Trinity is great at work-life balance. Uh, but I, I, I love it. So to me, I think this is the balance or imbalance that I'm happy with. So I think it's just case by case and everyone needs to figure out what is their balance and communicate that boundaries with their team, with their managers, but also be understanding of what the other people's balance is and figure out where is a compromise. And I think that's totally okay to 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 communicate that. I think that the hard part is when you don't communicate and expect the other people to know your boundaries and help you obtain your balance, I think that's not fair, right? Because everyone has their own balance to take care of. So for example, like, so in my team, so we are 100% remote company, and we have teams all over. And everyone has different personal situation, but also different working style. Some people love working in the early mornings. Some people work in the middle of the day, and some people just, like, prefer to work, like, really late at night. And I work usually on Sundays, too. So... The good thing about technology is you can set your boundaries via technology in your settings. So we are very heavy Slack company. So I would tell the team when they join, it's like, this everything. There's a document, like a Google Doc, I ask everyone to create called like about me. And they say, this is me. This is what I care about. This is what's important to me. This is how I work. But I also tell the team, like, hey, I, I don't expect people to work on the weekends. I do, but just that's how I am. So if that's not your thing, set in the notification so that nothing comes through your Slack and your inbox and stuff like that on the weekend. You can set that, set the boundaries. Like I don't expect you to reply immediately. And that's how we can accommodate everyone working preferences. So I think that's how you maintain the balance and just, just voice it and communicate with your team.
0: No, and I think that you're right, that technology has really empowered us in so many ways to take back control. Like I have a setting on my Slack that shows when I'm offline in the morning because I haven't started my working hours yet because I'm two hours behind a couple of my other teammates and they're up at what is my 7am and, you know, pinging stuff. And so they know that like, oh yeah, like Anne's not working right now. Like she's not going to respond for a little bit. Like it's just, it's too early for that. So I think that it's nice to have that because it You know, not that you shouldn't have an awkward face-to-face conversation, but it kind of makes it to where you don't have to have that unnecessarily when you Mm -hmm. can just say, hey, like the system says I'm not here.
1: Yeah. No, I think like more and more people should feel more comfortable with that from most a management standpoint, but also like like the staff level, right? In the pre-COVID day, everyone's in the office. So people didn't have to have this kind of conversation. You show up to work nine to five kind of thing. So people didn't. But then since then, everyone's remote. Our team's like... You can name any state and we have an employee there. So the time zone alone is already messy. And then you add in like young children, things like that, or like parents you're taking care of, life in general. So I think people just need to get comfortable of communicating, this is my boundaries, Um, this is what works, but I commit to deliver on the result. That's that's the only thing I care about. As long as you deliver, it doesn't really matter.
0: No, I I think that's a great mindset that it's all about the outcomes and not necessarily the checkbox of like, you, you took your time card and you clocked in at the mm. same time as everybody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard, isn't it? I'm, like from for, for managers out there, though, just a, something for empathy. It's like, it's really hard because when you don't, you you already lose the face-to-face, the little side conversation, the rapport, uh, what's that person working on? So when you don't see someone for on for so long, even though you want to respect their boundaries, sometimes you kind of feel like, what's going on in my team? So like, Empathize with your managers too. It's it's a hard job out there when you don't see <laughs> what they're doing. So yeah, set boundaries but also be empathetic.
0: Right. <laughs> no, that's that's great advice. <laughs> uh, as a woman in tech, have you ever experienced any bias, and how did you kind of work to overcome that?
1: Oh God. <laughs> of course, there are biases all the time, everywhere, especially in tech. I think the tech tech can get a lot better. Uh, I think there's More awareness companies more intentional to address this gap, to make sure that in the recruiting, promotion, all that process minimize any biases as much as possible. Overcoming it is hard. I think it's just, it's really challenging. So as someone who's leading a team, I think just being paying attention to like the the subtle things. For example, how do you set like the maternity leave policies, paternity leave as well? And then any, like anything in between, right? I think that's one thing to kind of like level set. Another thing is what I learned is it's actually harder if you delay the the awareness of like trying to bring diversity to minimize biases. If you delay it, like, especially for early stage startup, if anyone's listening in early stage, it's really hard to hire female candidates on the early days. Like we, we try to, it's just so high risk. So. Being a female, if you have family and young children or planning two children, right? Like that level of risk might not be for everyone. So inherently the, the life of a startup just kind of like minimize the pool of like how many diverse candidates you're going to get. Yeah. We, we extended offer and we got declined just because it's just so high risk. And I understand why they, they made that decision. Having said that, though, the mo- the longer you wait, the less likely you're going to get diverse candidates to apply. Like if I'm looking at the, the team on LinkedIn or leadership, and i don't see anyone like like that look like me or potentially think like me i would not apply and we see this very clearly in how like different teams at user gems if we have like a female leaders in a certain department you're going to get more female candidates so for the ones that like for example like the, the departments that don't have as many females like engineering sales for example then we have to put more concerted efforts to make sure that we have we source more because the moment you open that floodgate, then you're going to get more and more uh, candidates that are willing to apply because no one want to join an environment where it's toxic for them. It's, it's high risk enough already. So I don't know if we are we overcoming it, but I think for the company outside, the diversity that we have is actually pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, I think um, that talking about that personal risk is that is such a good point is that it's it's not necessarily that it's risky for that person, you know, to take the job. It's just that it's risky. Like I am in a spot where, you know, the company could be successful or the company could not be successful. And am I willing to take that risk if Mm -hmm. I know I have, you know, I have to pay for daycare to be there. Exactly. So it's a balance. And I think that that's something that, you know, isn't talked about a lot in the mm. startup space that that compounds the diversity challenges
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's hard but i think as long as the leadership has that type of mindset to in, to ensure that it happens it will take a while but it will get there so when we were i think only 20 people or so the sales team was only four or five people we talked about it all the time like oh my gosh <laughs> like we need to get more diverse this is this does not seem right even though everyone loves everyone and, and, and the team is really friendly and it's not like a tech bro kind of vibe, but it's just, yeah, we, we, like, this is two years ago. We consistently, and now I think half of the sales team or a third of the sales team is female. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. really
0: incredible. That's, you don't see that a lot in tech that there's, you know, kind of an equal balance in, in yeah. sales in general. What is something, you know, you talked a little bit about looking at LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn company profiles and seeing the makeup of the leadership team. What are some of the things that you do when you're looking at a company, whether it be, you know, if you were looking at a new career opportunity and making that evaluation or even just looking for partnerships? What are some of the things you look at for companies that you want to partner with or um, work with in some capacity?
1: Great question. I think it's like two different things. I think the first one, if you're looking for a career, like a, a career switch, how do I evaluate the company? There's like there's so many LinkedIn posts and blog posts about like how to evaluate, and also depending on like the seniority too. Let's like I would say the first one is looking at like who you're gonna be report to. I think that the manager is gonna make or break your career. So there's that. But that like the basic kind of like is it the right role, right team? How's my teammate? See if you can back channel um, as much as you can. I'm sure you can check if you know someone who knows someone in the company, just to kind of get a feel, especially in that team, the dynamics. I think that's that. Think about what you can learn, what you're going to take away from it. Usually a lot of time people switch career for the salary, which makes sense too. Uh, but if you have the luxury where finance is not like the only thing that, you know, ensure the food's on the table, explore that. Like, can you learn different things? Kind of like go back to the jungle analogy earlier. Like, Can I learn something new that will serve me down the line like five, 10 years? So I think that's from like kind of like personal development. Evaluating companies, if you go for like startup, like big company, I think it's pretty straightforward. There's a lot of public information, like public companies. But for startup, it's really challenging because the first thing you want to figure out is, does this company have a product market fit? Like going back to the risk aspect, like you could be an absolute rock star at your role, but if the company doesn't have product market fit, your role is going to be gone too because the company might not make it. I mean, that's just a reality. So the number one thing is, is trying to figure out as much as you can. Does the company have a product market fit? And if yes, do they have happy customers? And, and the way you can assess product market fit is like find out who the customers are, back channel, trying to get as much information, and then do the, the only analysis of the total addressable market. Like, is this a niche space that potentially could grow big? Is it a giant TAM or is it just kind of like we're still exploring and there's some just happy customers who are friends and family that bought the product? And then there's a bunch of other like metrics that you have to look into to make sure that it's a good company.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot, especially in that startup side of how do you know that this risk is worth the reward?
1: Yeah. It's really hard. I think if, if you, uh, if you remember a member of pavilion, it's a community for revenue operators, practitioners. There's a lot of courses that break this down into like, here are the metrics you should look at and trying to find out information. Uh, If you don't have access to that kind of like information from the company, see if you can back channel. LinkedIn right now is super robust. I'm sure you can find people who can give you some insights.
0: That's a really great idea. So have you had a mentor who really helped shape your career path?
1: I think all the managers I've had in in some shape and form kind of like shape that career path. I've never had a formal mentorship, like some people they are still trying to figure that out like how to make it like happen a network, reach out for, like you know, to learn and talk shop and exchange ideas. not yet in the mentorship though. so if anyone out there listening looking for a mentee, <laughs> let me know.
0: I love it. you know, yeah. I think it's hard to find a mentor, hard to, you know, I think you could have a mentor who was a really amazing boss and they move on to their next step in their career and mm-hmm. then they're just gone. Right. And I think that that's yeah. it's tricky because I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have these conversations with women leaders, yeah. because I think it is really hard, especially when you get to a certain level of leadership to find those people because there aren't that many women in these seats.
1: Yeah. Actually that's true. But yeah, I think it's just like, you also need to make an, like put in a lot of efforts, um, make sure that it's as easy and worthwhile for them as possible. I guess I haven't done a good job then.
0: <laughs> now, I mean, if you haven't needed it, then that's, I think that that's. No, no,
1: I, I, I always need like guidance and mentorship. Like, don't take me wrong. Like, there are a lot of leaders out there that I follow and admire. So I kind of just follow their journey. And it's a blessing if they tend to be like have a public persona. So like if they share at conferences or podcasts or like LinkedIn and I kind of like learn through that it's just also during the remote world, it's just harder to build that kind of personal connections.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is actually a great way to gain mentorship without necessarily having an actual relationship. Yeah, that we have the opportunity to learn and listen and read. And there are some people who are putting out some really fantastic content that can help Mm -hmm. uplift us regardless of where you are in your career. So what is a piece of advice that you would give to a woman who's considering taking a career in SaaS or tech?
1: I mean, I'm biased. I've always been in tech. So I say, like, just do it. <laughs> but again, you got to kind of figure out, like, what what brings you joy? Like, what, like exactly, like, what uh, will give you that fire in terms of, like, the excitement? But if you think about, like, the Venn diagram, right? So it's like, this industry... Here are the things that they're looking for in terms of skill sets. That's one circle. The second circle is, this is what brings me joy. And then this is what my skill sets are, like my strengths are. So see if you can find the overlap of that, of those two circles. And if you're nerdy enough like me, then you also think about the third circle, which is the potential of growth. Is this industry going to keep growing? Or is it kind of like a stagnant one, which is fine too, but you know what I mean? And see if there's an overlap and then decide for yourself if this is it.
0: No, I love that idea. I think that like with, you know, people who are searching, career hunting, I think that that's a great exercise because it's so easy to just, I check these boxes, I should apply or just like batch apply because you're panicked for whatever reason. And so I think it, it makes a lot of sense to just take, take a step back. And I love that idea of a Venn diagram
1: yeah no it's hard though in reality right because tech until until this last year in terms of like financial like the earnings i mean tech and SaaS especially has always been paying a lot more lucrative compared to other industries so i can see a lot i see a lot of people switching careers like joining UserGen, for example because i heard they heard from their friends or someone who works on tech and they know how much the tech home is and that that matters a lot so that's also that component too
0: one, it's so much more accessible than it used to be with remote work. You used to have to be in one of the big tech hubs and the cost of living (laughs) there also went up. So you're going to move to a tech hub to work for a tech company that had an HQ there. You Mm -hmm. have to have a higher salary. And so now with remote work, I think it's just, it's a jump that people want to make, but Mm -hmm. sometimes may not be worth the risk as you've said.
1: Yeah. But like the the remote work definitely like level set in terms of the talent. Um, And I think it's great. Like, Uh, not all companies do it, but like for us, at the stage we're at, we don't adjust salary based on where you live. So it's basically kind of like even playing field. Also, people move around all the time. We have people from moving one state to another. So you can't just go around and adjust all the time. I think it's fair because like, hey, you join because this is the output from this role. It doesn't matter where you live. Yeah. So I think. That's a good part, but there's a downside to not downside, but there's something about remote work that people also need to be aware of. It's just, it requires a lot more to be successful in remote world and not everyone is made for it. You need to have like, you, you need to be able to thrive in autonomy. No one's going to be able to sit there and say like, Hey, it's 930. Where are you? Like, and then like kind of like, if you're in a sales team, especially or like SDR, right? A lot of time you, you learn by listening to your peers sitting next to you on these calls and then you kind of pick up. You don't have that. Like there's some tools to help, but it's still not as natural. So you have to push yourself to learn. Like you have to be that type of person. No one's going to be able to coach you on time until it's too late when your numbers doesn't, doesn't get there. So I think that's autonomy is one thing. The second piece is um, over communication. Like there's no like shyness around, I know you're busy, so I don't want to bother you. Like no, like there's email, there's lag. This is asynchronous communication. You have to over communicate. Otherwise no one knows what you're doing. And like, you know, projects sometimes succeed, sometimes fail. If you don't communicate, your manager can't have your back. So all that piece too. So it does take that actual work to be successful in the remote world. I, I hope more people realize.
0: No, I, I can completely agree with that because it is it's tricky because like even like as a marketer, there was a time where I could just listen to what the sales team was saying. And now mm-hmm. you can't do that. You have to actually have the conversations or, you know, I, I sat in on the sales stand up every day and that was mm-hmm. just the world that I was in. Not because I was invited yeah. to the sales stand up, but because I physically was within 50 feet of them.
1: Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you talk about. My last company was the same thing. I love those. Like they would have like a sales team meeting or team meeting and i would be like, do, 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 go, like grab my laptop and sit in the back. And I could hear like all the stuff that they like, they, the wins and the challenges and things like that. And it helps with your job be better too so that's harder in remote world like doesn't even if you put in like an all hands it's just awkward no one wants another zoom meeting so yeah I don't know
0: it's balanced I think there's technology to support it and like you said like slack and you know the tools like the meeting tools I think that's so important to be listening to you know those recorded calls that can help give you a lot more insight than You would necessarily get, you know, if you were just actually eavesdropping, like you can actually like pay attention and pause it and be like, yeah, I'm going to take a note. Like that's something I should do with a marketing campaign because I hear that pain point.
1: That's true. You know what? Actually, I don't know. Is there a tool? If you know, let me know. Like It would be so cool if there's some kind of sync between like the company's calendars and if there's like a a team meeting, like a big team, like a sales team, SDR, things like that then it's just kind of like little like notification on your Slack. as like, hey, that's a team that's, that there's this meeting going on that you can listen in, where you can just like kind of like dial in, but just listen and not like your face there because then it's just kind of weird. I don't know.
0: Yeah, people frame things differently if they know the VP marketing's there, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but then it's not like they would do, well, could they really do it? Like in, in person, I could just walk into the meeting because it's usually in the open space yeah. office, right? Yeah. So... Like, this whole, like, hush-hush, like, the meeting is only for the team. It's where the silo is going to be formed. Big time. Oh. Because I I don't know what's going on in the other world. And, yeah, I I don't know. You know, maybe I'll look into this after this call.
0: (laughs) There's an idea there. There's an idea there for sure. Like, how do you
1: do that? Zoom, maybe Zoom should do this. (laughs) It's part of their summer intern program. (laughs) Instead of, like, ears and, like, you know, TikTok filters and all whatnot just help with these natural collaboration. I don't need to say anything. I just want to listen in and maybe there's something I can help and I can you know follow up.
0: No, oh, I love that. I love that. Well, to kind of close us off, my last question is: uh, What is your must read or watch? Doesn't have to be professional. It could be personal. Like, how do you you know what are you learning right now or just enjoying out in entertainment?
1: I watch a lot of trash on Netflix, so I will not share that. <laughs> But, uh, I think book wise, like right now, um, like if it's right now, there are two books that I'm trying to get through and, and, cause I love it. I'm just trying because I don't have a lot of time, but one is called The Lessons of History. Again, I'm a, I'm a nerd. So Lesson of History is written by two award winners as historians and they summarize everything they learned their entire life about the human history and how that says, like what it says about Human psychology and how that will drive a lot of behaviors. Sounds super nerdy. The, w- the way they write, I think, is like the, one of the most beautiful writing out there. I like that stuff because, as a marketer, I feel like history and psychology help you bring out like the creativity in some of the stuff that you do. So, that's one thing. Another thing, if someone's doing account based marketing, I'm reading um, Breaking Silos by Hillary at Snowflake, and I think Travis is a, her partner in the SDR side. So I'm, g- I'm working through that. I mean, everything they write, I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. This is exactly what uh, we've been trying to do and tell within User Gems in the last four years. So it's good to hear that from Snowflake. So it's like, okay, we're not crazy. It's validated. If Snowflake says that and they see success with it, it must be true.
0: I'm reading that book right now too. It's really? actually it's like literally sitting on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> it's great. It's great. That is, I, it's I so love it because great. it's so... Practitioner focused. It's yes. it's not about the platforms. It's not about the software. It's about how do you actually break down those walls of communication and work collaboratively. And I think we can all learn from that. And there's such a, I mean, there's such a good company with the way that they're growing and the things that they're putting out. Like they're they're definitely a company yeah. to aspire to be. I think.
1: No, it's great. It's it's fantastic. And it's it's not a program like ABM. It's a, it's not a program. It's just how you go to market. And the moment like she announced it, and the way that she wrote the uh, the first intro post for for the, uh, the book, I was like, yes, a thousand percent. I ordered like four or like six different books on my team.
0: <laughs> I love so, really it. I love good. it. Yeah, she is on. Uh, she's on my my wish list of guests for sure. So maybe I should reach out to her and be like, hey, we you were should. Just
1: about you? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh, you should. You absolutely should.
0: Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, Trinity. I really enjoyed hearing your story and getting to know you a little bit better. and I you know hope everyone else had such as good time as I did.
1: Oh thank you so much, Anne. I hope people like take some there's something to take away. a lot of rambling.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. people will definitely have some takeaways. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Sassy. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join us on LinkedIn at Sassy Podcast to stay in the know about future episodes and guests.